Welcome, Grace Life Church. Welcome those here in person, those watching online as well. Glad that you've chosen what is wise in this world, not necessarily coming here, but you've chosen to come and worship the Lord God this morning. And we've been, as you know, we've been talking, going through the book of Haggai, and talked about the people's priorities last week in Haggai chapter 1, and how they had some misplaced priorities in their lives, and that caused, well, it, 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 God's message to them came out through the, through the prophet Haggai. Get your priorities right. Come and worship me. Get back to the temple. Get back to reaching our community around us. Get back to that which is important. Not just living your own lives, going through this 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of this life and this world. But get back to what is important, thinking about eternity and taking others with you to eternity. That's what is important. It's important, too, that we as believers learn to think biblically about cultural and social issues that are going on around us. And with that in mind, before I get into the message this morning, I want to recommend a book to you guys. I recommend a, uh, a Bible scholar. His name is Vodi Bakum. This is a book called Fault Lines. I would encourage you guys to pick up this book, either the audio book or the physical copy, a Kindle book, whatever it is. He deals with the area of social justice, critical race theory, whiteness or white fragility, and all that entails in that issue as it comes in our in our midst today. And he approaches from a purely biblical standpoint. This is a black pastor. This is a place he's two months younger than me. He looks much better than I do, I will say that. Um, he's a black pastor. He's, he's a dean of a, a college in um, uh, a seminary in um, Africa as well. Uh, but he also pastors here in the States. He's got a, a great following. He's on YouTube. A lot of great videos out there on YouTube. He's on their Vodibach, V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A-M is his name, Vodibach. And I recommend this book. I've been working my way through it slowly. It's, 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 uh, it's not deep. There's some great, great information in there. So as we, as believers, learn to think biblically about these social issues, I think it's important because we can't let... The culture define what the Bible says. We have to let the Word of God define what we think about culture and how we operate within culture. It's very, very important that we let this be our foundation. We let this be our defining book in our, in our libraries. And let everything stem from this. We can't let the culture and the media and all that's around us redefine what God says. We let God define what He wants to say. So, Anyhow, Fault Lines is a great book. I want to recommend that to you guys as well. Um, so this morning, forget that if you can. I'll also be posting a link later on on our church Facebook page uh, to a blog post uh, by Tim Challies that came out later this week as he did a book review of the book White, White Fragility that came out a while back um, that's been hot in social and cultural circles. And I want to encourage you to read that, his blog post, his review of that as he deals with that book on a biblical basis as well. But anyway, step off the step off that now. I think it's important that we as a church learn to deal biblically with some of these issues. I'm glad that men with greater minds than me have dealt with them because I definitely don't have the greatest mind. I, I know what I believe. I just don't have a, I have a hard time putting it down in print or communicating. So I'm glad that others have done that for me, and I can promote their stuff to you guys. Book of Haggai, we get to chapter 2. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai, it's the third to last book, second to last book in the Old Testament. Uh, you got Haggai, then Zechariah, which we've just finished, and then Malachi, and then you go into Matthew. So it's the third to last or second to last 
book in the Old Testament. It's very, very short. You'll miss it if you're trying to flip through. Your Bible's only one page long. It's front and back, front and back. It's only one page long in my Bible, so you'll miss it. But we'll be in chapter 2 today as we look at this area of renewing the vision, renewing the vision for worship within the people of Israel, but also within the community around us, within the community around them and around us. See, the message to Israel that Haggai is bringing to them is the same message that God brings to the church today. Just because it's in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's for another time, just for back then. It's for right here, right now, for the church, for you and I as well today. So it behooves us well to look at some of these minor prophets and see beyond God just as the judge, just as the one who's bringing down judgment upon the people of Israel and upon uh, Babylon and these other nations. It's easy to put God in the pigeonhole God into that box. But there's so much more here. If we grasp it, he's encouraging us to stay on the task that he has called us to as the church, to get out into our communities, to get into those around us and take the gospel to them so they can in turn learn to worship him as well. It doesn't do us any good if we fill up this church with a bunch of people who already know Jesus and we just keep it that way. We're not a country club where people pay for membership and just come and sit and enjoy. We want to be constantly bringing new people into honor to the faith, to the family of God, and a gospel conversation to those around us. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It is no mistake where you live. It's no mistake where you work. God has placed you in that place. So you can be a witness and an example to those people around you. Wherever you work, shop, eat, play, and live, we're to be an example, to be a light, to bring people into the family of God so they can in turn worship Him. That's where Israel was then, at this point in history. They'd come back from Babylon. They'd come back from Babylon, and they'd gotten back to building their lives, and they'd forgotten to get back to impacting the community around them. Ultimately, worship of the one true God is all that is important. I mean, having a nice house is fine. Having a nice job is fine. Having kids that are sit pretty and sit quiet in church is okay. But ultimately, I don't care if they're even loud. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It does not matter. The only thing that is, is, is ultimately important is that we are worshiping the one true God. And giving Him all the worship He deserves. That song, Waymaker, that we sang this morning... There's so many great, clear declarations in that song of who God is. And we are declaring, God, you are the way maker. God, you are the promise keeper. God, you are the light in the darkness. And every time we sing that song, every time we sing all these other songs we sing on Sunday mornings, or if you're in your, in your car, listen to Caleb, or listen to Way FM, or listen to the message, or listen to whatever, you are singing those songs along. It doesn't matter what you look like. If you were driven past somebody and you were at a stop sign, you look over and you see and they're going, I hope they're singing a song that's praising God and worshiping Him. Because that's what it's about. All day, every day long, we are to worship God. That don't mean you walk down your hallway to work. Waymaker, miracle work. Do that if you want. You're going to get some looks. But that's okay. We're going to get looks anyway. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get some looks. People are not going to understand who you are and what you believe and why we do what we do. But ultimately, worshiping of the one true God is all that is important. It's what we're going to do for all of eternity. All this stuff we have is not going with us. We can only take people with us. 
And we're all going to worship God for all of eternity. So God is reminding Israel in this book of Haggai, get back to what is important. Get back to worshiping me. John Piper said this. I love this quote by John Piper. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. And we support a lot of missionaries. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. When we traveled overseas as missionaries for 20 years, we were in some countries where worship of the one true God was not acceptable, shall we say. Uh, it was clamped down on by the governments that were there. And God sent missionaries into those countries, not just us, but others as well, into those countries so that we could introduce people to him so we could bring them to worship. So we could bring them to the foot of the cross so they could have their sins forgiven, experience that forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. And they could then turn and say, God, you are the way. You are the promise keeper. You are the forgiver of my sins. That is why our missionaries that we support go around the world to introduce people to this awesome God that we love, we sing about, we worship. That it's this simple message that the John Piper on the screen behind me. You see that simple message of reinforces the reason why we exist as a church to take the gospel to the community around us, lead people into worship of God. If we fail in that, we fail in our purpose. We become a country club. In the book of Haggai, look there with me. We're as we read through the first five verses here this morning. As God reminds Israel of their purpose. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shield, to the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. So everybody. <laughs> say this to everybody and everybody and everybody. And say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory, talking about the temple. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So God is reminding the people, he said, you know, this temple that you came back and the temple was in ruins. And last week he reminded them because they've been back in the land for several several months and they've just been working on their own house. They, they laid the foundation and then stopped. And so God said, hey, God, do you want to remind them? Okay, let's get your priorities straight. We've got to bring worship back to the people. We've got to bring worship back to the land. We've got to get worship. We've got to get people back to me. You've been stuck in Babylon for 70 years. Now you're back in the land. Let's get back to what is important. It's fine to build your houses and to focus on, on your land. Focus, it's fine to focus on some of these other things. But what is really important? What's going to last for all of eternity? These houses are going to fall down. These fields are going to go fallow. The worship of God will go on for eternity. And then three months later, he has to come back again. Three months later, he's got to come back. People got to work, they got back, they put a few walls up, and then they went back to their old lives. So he reminds them again. He says, here's a problem. Let's look at the problem. 
He basically says in verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not just nothing in your eyes? Do you remember the temple, what it looked like? Do you remember the glory of the temple that Solomon built? Do you remember what happened here? Do you remember the sacrifices and the worship that took place here? Do you remember the lives that were changed as a result of the temple and the worship of God going on? Do you remember the stories? Some of you people may even have been around to see the temple before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember? What's it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Is it not important? Work had started back in the temple again, and then excitement lagged. It's hard work. I'm glad we don't have to build things by hand. I'm glad we have machines now that can do some of those things for us. I'm glad there are skilled laborers and workers who can do that, because I definitely don't know how to do it. I can put concrete blocks on top of concrete blocks if I want them to fall down. <laughs> I'm glad there are people who know how to do that, but that was hard work. And everybody came together to start rebuilding the temple again, but excitement lagged and, the, and life hit them and, and the world was against them. Other outside influences came on them and they kind of lagged off. The selfishness for their own lives kicked in again and they didn't state the task. Once again, they desired to keep doing their life rather than prepare the ground for gospel impact. So they were to be about sharing the gospel with people around them, even there. And the gospel may have, they may not have had John 3.16 in the Old Testament, but they still have the gospel. They still have the good news of who God was. They still have the good news of his forgiveness. They still have the good news that God was the bringer of salvation, that God was the forgiver of sins, that God was the one who provided eternal life. They had the gospel. It sounded different than we have it today because there wasn't yet a Messiah. There was no urgency in their work. No urgency at all. They just kind of, you know, listen to says, who is left among you who remembers this house? How do you see it? It's just torn down. There's no urgency to get it done, to stay at the task. When life hits us, urgency to be about the task of God's things seems to wane, does it not? It does. I asked somebody this morning, I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, it was a week. It was a week. It was a hard, sometimes weeks just hit us. Sometimes life hits us. It could be a job, it could be a relationship, it could be kids, it could be an education or lack thereof, it could be whatever. We got a note last night that my father-in-law came down with COVID. He's supposed to preach this morning. He was literally hit. You're not going to church for two weeks. For a preacher, that's like, what? You tell me I can't go in, I can't preach for two weeks? He's got to get over it. Life hit him. The people of Israel, life got upside them and the urgency to get back at the task waned. It's almost as if God was saying, do you even remember what true worship looks like? Or have you become so numbed by life that you thrust your relationship with me into the back seat? Do we even remember what true worship of God looks like? Do we remember 
Remember the temple in all its glory? Do you remember what that was like? Uh, or is your relationship with God just kind of thrown in the backseat? Have you taken over the driver's seat of your car? See, that's what God was telling the people of Israel here and telling us as well. You've got to make me a priority. You've got to make this relationship with me a priority. If it's not a priority, nothing else works right. If you don't change your oil in your car for a few months, in a few more months, eventually what happens? You drive down the road and it locks up and smoke comes out. And all the lights come on on your dashboard. It's like, uh, oops. You stop making those little things a priority. It's just a little change. It's just, I know I gotta put gas in to keep it going. It's just a little change. It's just checking the antifreeze. It's just changing the air filter. It's just those little things. It's not that important. They are. Israel's sin here was laid bare. Their disobedience, their discouragement, their selfish lives. Here at Grace, Grace Life, we've placed, we want to place an emphasis and have placed an emphasis on our children and our youth ministry. This is the next generation of leaders in the church. We have our kids over next door right now teaching them the Word of God. Our teens meet up here on Tuesday nights learning the Word of God and having fun together and enjoying their time together. We want to pour into these young people to let them learn who God is and how they can have an impact in this world. They've got another 70 or 80 years ahead of them. We don't, we adults don't have nearly that long left. That's okay. I can't wait to see God, honestly. But we want to pour into what is important and do what is important. These kids are important. Worship is important. Teaching them how to worship God is important from the very youngest one up to the oldest. We place an emphasis on our kids and our teens because we want to see them come to faith in Christ. You know that this stat says that 95% of all those who come to faith in Jesus do so before the age of 21. Did you know that? 95%. And of that 95%, 75% of them come to Jesus before the age of 18. That means the older you get, the harder it is to come to know Jesus. Not because anybody can't come to Jesus, because we just sit in our ways and we get saddled with life and we, we want to, bills hit us and, and, and uh, light just comes in and gets us distracted and it becomes harder and harder the older you get because stubbornness and discouragement kicks in. We should be about teaching others to worship. If we abandon these kids, we abandon those around us, we abandon our purpose. And God here was calling Israel to repent of their sin of disobedience, to bring them back, to remind them once again. We may think that we don't have time in our own lives to get involved in the, in the ministries and, and work with these kids. Because I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. We can, we can fill up our time with things that are not that important. Facebook is not that important. Netflix is not important. Playing games is not important. Pouring your life into it. Teens and kids, teaching people to worship Jesus is important. There's no sugarcoating it. The Israelites 
or in sin, they've forgotten to teach those around them, to lead those around them, the nations around them, into worship of the Most High God. So that was the problem. But God says, there's still hope. Look at number two, he says, in verse four, he says, God calls him hope. He says, yet now, be strong. Was the rebel word. Yet now, be strong, stand strong. That, that, that phrase, be strong, reminds, reminds me of Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, where God says, Have I not commanded you to Joshua just before they go into the nation to take over the promised land? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses had just died. Moses had been leading the nation of Israel for 40 years out of Egypt in through the, through the wandering through the wilderness. And now Moses had died and it was all on Joshua's shoulders. And I'm sure he was a little apprehensive. He'd been given the mantle of leadership. But he was a little apprehensive. I know that feeling. I took over pastoral, pastoral responsibilities here at this church following a man who'd been here for 36 years. A great man of God who led this church. And the mantle was passed to me. And I was, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? How am I going to follow him? And God had reminded me, strong and courageous. If I placed you there, you are the one for that church. Joshua, if I placed you in leadership of the nation of Israel, and all those stubborn people, you're the one. You're the one right man for the job. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, that message to Joshua, repeated in Haggai, is the same message for us as well, Grace Life. Be strong and courageous. Be, yet now be strong. Stand up. We may be a little church, but we can have a great, massive impact in our communities around us. It doesn't take a lot. It takes a committed few. How many did God send with Gideon to take on the nation? He went with over 20,000 to go take on and, and try to defeat those marauders. And God whittled it down from 20,000 to 300. And they didn't even do the work. They just stood around and blew their trumpets and broke their little pots and shined their flashlights. Woo, here we are. And God did the work. It took a committed few. Still the same today. God says, restore your strength by dealing with our sin. Move forward in the power and the spirit of the Lord. Yet now be strong. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hope comes when we experience the forgiveness of God. Do you know that? Hope comes in our lives when we experience the forgiveness of God. There's power in forgiveness. It sets us free. For when we experience that forgiveness, it totally rips the chains that have been binding us. There is freedom in the power of forgiveness. And we usually only think of forgiving someone uh, think of forgiveness when it comes to think, forgiving someone else for their wrongs against us. But have you ever experienced the forgiveness of somebody else when they say, I forgive you for the wrong you've done against me? Now, we typically we talk about God forgiving us of our sins. What about going up to somebody and saying, I forgive you? You're at odds with somebody, 
you walk in and say, you know, I forgive you. That sets them free. And it sets you free. Offering and receiving their forgiveness. It allows the, the relationship to be healed. It allows us to begin moving forward together with be of one mind in the body of Christ. To find that forgiveness, to experience that forgiveness. The relief is there, the chains are broken. First Peter 4 8 says this above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. When you look at somebody, you walk up to them, and you say, you know what? You may have failed. You've hurt me. You've offended me. But I do not hold that against you. I forgive you. They may not even be aware of it. But they may know there's some kind of something going on between you. You walk up and say, I forgive you. That renews our relationship allows hope to move forward and experience the freedom that comes in Christ. When our, we receive that forgiveness of sins from others and from God, that frees us, frees us up to work together, to work together about the work that God has called us to, our purpose. Look at verse, end of verse 4. As God calls them to repent by working together, he says, work, for I am with you because the Lord of hosts. He just said, now stand now and be strong. And now he says, work, for I am with you, declares God. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. See, the Israelites, they understood this, their sin. They understood what was going on. And now they recognize God's grace, but it couldn't just stop there. Having a head knowledge, I've been forgiven. God's grace is there. That's all I got to do, right? No. There is a job that we have as a church. There's a job that we have individually as followers of Jesus to get out there and do the work of the gospel, to get out there into our communities around us, to impact lives, to have gospel conversations, to bring healing into our communities that can only come through Jesus. All that understanding an acknowledgement of who God is would have been wasted if they didn't respond in obedience to get back for the Israelites to get back to the temple to continue building it. Micah Fries, who's a former pastor in Canton, Kentucky, said, Transform hearts do not occur in isolation. Transform hearts lead to transform hands, and transform hands lead to God's work. He now leads a ministry called Global. Global, you heard that right? G-L-O-C-A-L, Global. Where they're trying to get the church into the communities around them. They're working on getting churches to see the needs in the community around them, not just on a, not just to become social gospel type churches, but to take the gospel into the communities to reach people and meet people where they are. Not thinking globally, not just thinking locally, but globally is the way they say it. It's pretty funny. Transformed hearts lead to transformed hands. And transformed hands do God's work. Are we about the work of God around us? See, God is saying, work, for I am with you. Do not be weary in doing good. I am with you. Reminding the people of Israel, get back to the job. Get back to doing the work around us. 
Lastly, God calls them to experience his presence, to live in his presence. He says at the end of verse five, verse five, he says, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. My spirit remains with you. I am with you. See, without his spirit going before us, the work is 100% human. We can be all about it. We can work ourselves to death. We can have blisters and, and blood. And, all, and We can be out there doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. But unless we're going forward to do the work of God, that God's called us to do in his presence and in his power, work is just work. And work is just work without God. It's kind of like getting your truck stuck in mud. What happens when you get your truck stuck in mud? It spins, it spins, it spins, it spins, and spins. Anybody else been there? Or maybe around here you get your truck stuck in snow. Last year, I pulled out of my park, my driveway trying to get out. At two feet of snow, I thought I had shoveled well. I got out there, got up a little too high, just spun and spun and spun. And my neighbor didn't even come out to help me. He just sat up and drinking his coffee in his house laughing. <laughs> Adam would have come out and helped for some. Wouldn't you? <laughs> That's what it's like when we try to do the work by ourselves. We just like spinning tires. It just goes and goes and goes and you go nowhere. Or you ever seen a hamster on a wheel? He's running. He's running. He's running. He thinks he's going someplace and the wheels just spin. And he hasn't moved until he stops. And then whoop, whoop, whoop. But he hasn't gone anywhere. That's what it's like trying to work without God. Without his involvement, his presence. I don't want to be just spinning my wheels. I don't want to be about the work of God. Doing the work by my own power and in my own strength. I want to be about the work that God has called me to do in His power and in His strength with His involvement. We can't do it by ourselves. We must involve God in the process. Israel slipped into sinful disobedience because they were working in their own power. They stopped working on the temple because they were trying to do it in their own power. To them, it was like, okay, i got to go work on the temple today. All right, let's go lay a few more blocks. Come, go, go. I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. So when you keep your vision and you keep your mind focused on why you're at work and who you're doing it for, it keeps that energy level up. It allows us to keep it the task. Other times when I don't want to come up here on Sundays and preach, yeah. Other times when I don't want to Come up on Tuesdays and work with the teens? Uh, yeah. Other times when I just rather sit home and sleep and lay on the couch? Yeah. I used to hate naps. Now that I'm over 50, I love naps. Anybody else with me? Amen? There we go. <laughs> Everyone's hands are raised. Everyone over about 30. <laughs> there are times. And it's during those times, those times I realized I am trying to do the work by my own power and in my own strength instead of involving God in the work. 
You know what happens when I sit down here and I'm singing, or I used to sit up here and play the drums? I'm worshiping God. It energizes me, getting me ready to come up here, to stay behind this table, and to bring the Word of God. There are times when I'm just tired. And I'm, oh, I got it too. I stayed up too late last night. I'm tired. But all of a sudden, worship kicks in, and then, and then I ever sense God's presence, and I'm praying, God, you've got to speak through me because I can't do it myself. You know how tired I am. You know what's going on in my life. God, you've got to take over. And I stand up here, and then, like a fire hose. And it's not me. It's God taking over. And those are the best times. His presence is directly connected to our ability to experience joy and satisfaction. His presence in the work is directly connected to our ability and joy to experience, to experience joy and satisfaction. If we do it by ourselves, it's easy to get discouraged. He's a strong tower that brings grace and hope and peace and rest. A strong tower that we rest in. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I want to live, I want to live in that tower. I want to live in that tower. I want to work in that tower. His name, his power, his energies, all that moving forward. And we just tag along. We caught up in the draft behind him. You ever see the NASCAR drivers? The ones who are in second, third place, they're right on the bumper of that car in front of them. They're going around the track. And they're trying to stay as close as they can, caught up in the draft, because then all they got to do is slim shot around. It's much less work when you slim shot than if you try to come from spot 15 back there. You're coming up on the outside trying to pass. Not that I ever watched much NASCAR, but I've seen a couple. I, I, I watch for the wrecks. And I was there, I didn't watch for the wrecks. I read just Psalm 59. David, talking about God as our strong tower. David says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression of mine or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine they run and they pray. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, Lord God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs, prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords on their lips. Or who they think will hear us. But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look and triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power. Bring them down, O oh Lord, our shield. For sin, for the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. Consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob, over the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs, prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they don't get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, 
I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. That's our strong talent. That is our strong talent. His name is great, worthy to be praised above all around us. He is the one who works and goes before us. We need to make sure that we are involving him in the work around us. Are you running from God or toward him? It says in Proverbs, the righteous man runs toward him. He's our strong tower. Are you running to that strong tower or are you fighting him? Are you running in to worship him or are you running away? Because you're afraid of facing him. You're afraid of what's gonna, what he's going to reveal when you meet him face to face. Are you like the righteous man who runs to him and it's safe? Or are you running away? Maybe it's time to stop running. Maybe it is time to stop running and experience the presence of God for yourself. Pray, pray this simple prayer with me. I want you to stop running today. I don't know where you are in your relationship. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. Stop running. I implore you, experience forgiveness, experience His presence. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you desire to stop running this morning, commit your heart to Him. Repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing it all myself. I'm tired of living my life by my own rules, silly rules. Because my rules don't work. God, I commit myself to you today to follow you no matter where I am in my relationship with you. I commit myself today to follow you, to experience your presence. Lord God, I commit myself to you to live in your presence. But I want to experience that forgiveness of sins that Pastor talked about this morning. To know what it feels like to have my sins removed and have that joy and that hope moving forward in this world. So with that in mind, God, I commit myself to you, to following you, to serving you, and to being at the work that you're going to call me to do. Not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in the strength of the one who created this whole world in just a word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that this morning and you said, you said Pastor, I, I've 